Before we continue, one of the ways we keep all of our content for you, the listener, free of charge is our amazing sponsors, and today, Anchor is one of those sponsors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone or computer. Anchor is going to distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are listened to, and you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. You asked for it, so we are bringing you the first ever after show for Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Stay tuned for our big premiere. You're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz <laughs> Hello, everybody. Get your sway on to this tune. Yes, we all know this one. Hello. Welcome to Something to Wrestle After. We're coming to you from AfterBuzz TV Studios in North Hollywood. You guys asked for this show, so we are bringing it to you. All the fans of Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. This is where you're going to come after you listen to those guys. We cover all the big reveals. We're going to include all your fan reactions. And, of course, I have a couple more fans of the show here to chat all about it with me. My name is Christy Olson, and let me introduce you to a man who is the executive producer of YouTube channel for Bruce Pritchard and many other of your favorite wrestling legends. Say hello to Steve Kaufman. Why, hello, also Philadelphian. Who? And that, which is and important that, in wrestling. That is very important in wrestling. <laughs> and it's also very important when we're talking about Rumble 04. It was in Philadelphia. I was not there. Oh, uh, spoiler what? alert, not there. I, was, <laughs> I wasn't there. <laughs> oh, and that, and that second voice you guys might hear might sound very new to you. Please give a rousing hello to comedian, DJ, and host of the Star Trek Discovery After Show here on AfterBuzz TV. It's Flobo Boyce. How's it going, everybody? I'm from Brooklyn, unfortunately. It's a no Philadelphia connection, but I'm so glad to be here today. Well, we are very happy to have you. We're switching this up a little bit. Everybody out there who knows us knows we have a pretty concrete panel. Christian Rosenberg joins us very often and George Hermosa. So we are so glad to have you, Flobo Boyce. And for everybody out there, since they are getting to know you, why don't you tell us a little bit about your uh, your wrestling fandom or your experience in this biz? What brings you here today to talk oh, about this for show? Sure. A lifelong fan of the World Wrestling Entertainment Federation and all that stuff. I also worked at Mach 1 Wrestling in Anaheim and Championship Wrestling from Hollywood as a ring announcer and the ring crew, which, you know, put, put that little reps <laughs> in there. And, Always. <laughs> yeah, so I'm real familiar with Christian Rosenberg and that crew, so... That's cool. Well, uh, thank you for hanging out with us today. We are so excited to talk about this show with you. Of course, you know, something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard is where we get all the juicy tidbits. This is where we learn everything we didn't know that was going on behind the scenes so long ago. And I want to make sure that you guys all join us live to chat about it because you're fans too. So we are going to be live on YouTube every Sunday at, hang on, give me a, give the blonde a sec to do her math, at 7 p.m. Eastern, <laughs> 4 p.m. Pacific. We would love if you join us in the live chat on YouTube and let us know your thoughts on the show and everything else that's going down. You can also catch us on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe, like, rate, you know, uh, five stars is the max. And uh, we're only a few minutes in, but I'm going to go ahead and say this is probably going to be a five-star show. (laughs) I love it. Well, I, I heard recently that none of the other stars on iTunes work. It's a oh. weird it's a weird glitch. It's it's new in twenty nineteen. Imagine but not. I, I think they're trying to work toward a pass fail system. Right. But there's no fail. Like no 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 stars, no review is a fail, and then a pass is five stars. That's I've heard that that's what's happening. I don't know. Rumors innuendo. <laughs> rumor the rumor innuendo is 
I got. I spend so much time in these walls doing wrestling podcasts, trying not to use Pritchardisms. <laughs> but I'm actually on the podcast where I get to use them. <laughs> now you finally have a place. Right. Finally, and this After Buzz TV is a place where all TV fans can come and join together and share in their fandom. Why don't you tell us a little more about it, Steve? So, uh, we just wanted to say thank you for making us the ESPN of TV talk. For us to continue to grow, we could use your help. Please make sure to subscribe to one or more of our YouTube pages. This YouTube page you're watching us on is the sports and the sorry, the wrestling and sports YouTube page, there's a lot of great after shows on here. The After 83 Weeks after show started there. Uh, the Raw <laughs> show, SmackDown show, NXT show. The pay-per-view show, which you'll see me and most of the regular crew on next Sunday for the Royal Rumble 2019. Yeah! All of that stuff. Also, as we mentioned, you got to give us a rating on iTunes. That helps the show you love get seen by more people so that the show you love can be shared with people you know and love. You also have to leave us a comment on iTunes. We'll shout you out on air. Also, leave us a comment here below the video about how awesome we are. <laughs> and being a part of AfterBuzz TV has meant a lot to me because it's given me the visibility as a pundit, a wrestling pundit. Because yeah. I'm not a journalist and I'm not a fan. I'm a wrestling pundit is my official terminology. And it's given me such visibility as a pundit that I'm able to DM people like Conrad Thompson and tell them, hey, I'm also a guy who can build your YouTube page. And I was able to build YouTube pages and I... I don't know that I'd have had that visibility without AfterBuzz TV, and that only helped. That only that opportunity only existed to me because people helped AfterBuzz TV grow. So yeah. that's that's the big part. That Thank is so you all sweet. so much for supporting us, and that's yes. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna dab my uh, dab my eye there. I'm gonna give <laughs> give everyone a second to reach for the tissues on that one. <laughs> Thank you, Steve Coffin. Read in the our live chat real quick. Hey, would want want you to say I love you in the preacher's voice. I love you. Awesome. Yes. <laughs> I was waiting for that. <laughs> huh? Oh, I have so many of these bouncing around my head. It's going to be we, bad. We are officially off to the best start ever, but we should probably jump into a little bit of Royal Rumble 2004. Now, of course, this is controversial because, mm. uh, according to Conrad, it's because WWE is not going to talk about this. I think that is a safe bet. Let's um, kind of cover where WWE is at at this time. Bruce says, you know, they're kind of experiencing a changing of the guard. At this time, there is the idea to bring Eddie Guerrero and, and Chris Benoit up and to have them go over in a big way, as Bruce Pritchard says, and we'll chat about how all that happens. But this kind of opens up with, they're even talking about, you know, should we be doing this? Should we be covering this? That conversation kind of happens at the end. But how do you guys feel about talking about Royal Rumble 2004? I think it's perfectly fine to talk about Royal Rumble 2004. It's perfectly fine to talk about Chris Benoit, the television character, as it happens organically. Um, what they didn't talk about was, well, where were you that day in Texas? Right. When he didn't turn up and right. things were happening in Atlanta. Where, you know, where is this person? Where is that person? We're going to do a whole conspiracy theories podcast, which those people exist. I think that's inappropriate, mm -hmm. especially for this show where they talk about the in-ring, the TV production side and... What Chris Benoit will sadly be most known for happened in 2006. Mm -hmm. This pay-per-view was 2004 and was one of two of his best moments. Probably his second best moment of his career happened in this pay-per-view where he eliminated Big Show by himself. I also think when people say, like, this is uncharted territory, I think O.J. Simpson kind of charted the territory. How, <laughs> how the NFL handles O.J. Simpson, I think, makes the territory pretty clear of 
how you deal with someone who did something. That's a great point. And his point. name becomes mud. The NFL doesn't talk about O.J. Simpson unless they absolutely have to. Mm-hmm. Someone broke his rushing record today. They'd have to mention they broke O.J. Simpson's rushing record. Because everything's gimmicked in the WWE, they don't have to talk about Chris Benoit ever again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've been very, very sensitive with that. I, I do think you should talk about them about Chris Benoit's win in the way he won, right? The one Drew number yeah. one in the Rumble. You can't really ignore that. Uh, today, I was actually uh, refreshing myself with the pay per view, and it's kind of interesting how they have not one, not two, but three disclaimers when you when yeah. you load that program, and that says a lot of how they're trying to handle it. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. because from '06 when it happened to. 2013, 2014, whenever the actual network released, mm-hmm. anything, and it would mainly be Rumble 04, Mania 20, and then... Um, TLC 3. Hmm? TLC 3? Yeah, and then the TLC 3, and then, like, anything anything he headlined, they either had to severely rewrite the copy or avoid selling that DVD altogether. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there was a time where you could only buy a Rumble 04 DVD post-06 mm-hmm. if you bought it as a part of a box set. That they wouldn't even sell it to you up front, even Mm -hmm. though John Cena was on the cover. You know, and it seems like maybe since this all happened so long ago, is this conversation even relevant about whether we should have the conversation? But this is the exact same thing that's happening in music right now with R. Kelly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it's more difficult in music because that's something that exists forever. That's also something that's happening in comedy right now. Mm -hmm. I think, I don't don't want to get into, because that gets into a larger point of censure. Right. that I don't want to actually get involved in because it's a wrestling show, but I sure. do think if you get to gimmick your own history, if you get to create the narrative that people are seeing, you do get the choice to say, we're never going to mention this person ever again mm-hmm. because of what he did. And I think that's a fair point to take for the WWE. I think for something to wrestle with, they are free to say, we're going to talk about the industry as it was in two thousand, as it was at the beginning of 2004. Mm-hmm. And we can't not mention this man. Right, absolutely. And really the whole show kind of kicks off with this conversation about the big choice to to put Chris over and the Bruce does admit that there are some questions about whether Benoit had the personality behind the scenes. Uh, but as we learn a little bit later, there were a lot of big names pushing mm. for Chris Benoit. Sure. Was that something you guys were surprised to hear? Actually, I would say no. I, I do think uh, for someone who performs on both sides, as a fan and someone that worked to perform, there's a, almost appreciation for someone who comes in, puts their head down, and works on their craft. So mm-hmm. having those people in the, in the, the boys in the back, right, <laughs> saying, you know, this guy, he, he comes in early, they're usually the first one to show up, the last one to leave, gear is always in the back trunk. There should be some sort of reward for that. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I, um, I, I was shocked to hear... Harkening back to how I felt about Triple H in 2004, up through, up, up through he founded NXT, pretty much. Hot take. But, like, but I'm not alone. Like, that was the perception of Triple H around that time. Like, the post-Rock pre-Cena time that he felt like he was next in line to be the next Rock, and he didn't care that he wasn't as popular as The Rock. Like, some would argue that's how, he, how Triple H felt, how Triple H handled things. The Booker T, the Booker T WrestleMania is a very good example of times where Triple H would just kind of get out of shovel. Mm-hmm. So to hear, so to look back at 2004 and to hear that Triple H was a huge proponent for anyone else to win anything ever sounded crazy to me. But if you look at what he's done since the Performance Center, which I believe is like 2011, 2012, it makes a lot more sense to me that he actually cared about the business. 
he just didn't see a future in the guys that he buried. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can disagree with him there. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Mike dropped that. I love that. <laughs> well, uh, despite some people questioning about Benoit's personality, they talk about how this was a time when Vince Vince loves storytelling. Obviously, he's all about telling a story in a match. And that that was his big thing during this time. He thought he could tell a good story with this Royal Rumble. Do you guys think of this as being a storyline-driven time in WWE? Um, wow. Yes. <laughs> I think the storylines were hit or miss. Okay. okay. I agree with that. Because there were, that. like, yes, I think it was a very much storyline driven. I also think there was, in 04, 05, there was never a more clear division of what SmackDown was versus what Raw was. Mm-hmm. There was never a more clear brand division of what SmackDown looks like, which is John Cena, who at the time had a gimmick, yes, but was also an incredible wrestler on who can go toe to toe with Kurt Angle. On his first night there, mm-hmm. Chris Benoit, like the SmackDown, thought like Edge was in on SmackDown for a while, like, and SmackDown always came off as the more wrestler show, and that Raw came off like the more showman showy show. Mm-hmm. Like I remember the summer before this, I think 03 would have been the Kane unmasking, and like that's there's a lot of Gaga as they say <laughs> in that match in that whole angle that it's Kane's unmasking that doesn't happen in the ring. It happens when he tries to burn Jr. Or, like. Yes. When, like, RVD tries to, like, stop him backstage, and, like, there's all this other stuff that isn't, that isn't in the ring. Whereas, mm-hmm. I think SmackDown's storylines begin and end in the ring at that time, and whereas Raw's begun backstage and then ended wherever they ended. Yeah. Good point. <laughs> like, <laughs> wherever they ended, sometimes there were funeral homes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, uh, <laughs> well, we all know where uh, Goldberg was at this point, and we do get some juicy tidbits about his little temper tantrum Oof. backstage at Armageddon after his match with Triple H. Did did Bruce's account, did that shed, shed any light on the story for you? Like, was this something you guys had heard about before? Did you want the details? Did you need the details? Do you, ha- do you feel like you, do you feel like you got the full story now? <laughs> yeah. I always felt that Goldberg had a, a diva streak. Oh. You can say diva now like because that. That, that thing is kind of an yeah. old term. Right. Uh, and that he had the talent and he was built up and he, and he, you know, he did the work and he had the physique and everything. But it was almost like, I am a star. I know what I was. I don't feel like I should take that extra step of explaining my, my trajectory or my motivations as much. Mm-hmm. And I always felt that when, when it came to a situation where it was, all right, here I go, bro. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to do this, A, B, and C. And he's like, well, why don't I go to C? I'm Goldberg. Like, <laughs> why, why not? You know? Um. This hearing about Goldberg now in the WWE, where the, and the reason I feel like the reason Goldberg fizzled out in the WWE is that you talk about A, B, and C. The Goldberg character, the whole gimmick of that character was to was to skip B. Right. That was the whole so. And I was actually listening to the Eric Bischoff one about Chris Jericho and how Chris Jericho wanted to match with Goldberg and Goldberg and like was kind of running him down in the ring on Nitro mm-hmm. and wanted this match with Goldberg and was getting, like mimicking Goldberg in the midst of the streak and he was like, well, I want to have a match with him on a pay-per-view and I want to sell tickets and build to it and Eric explains it now like, the kind of match Chris Jericho wants to have with Goldberg cannot happen. Right. Goldberg cannot deliver on a more than three minute squash match. It took him a really long time to get there and I think he got there in the later part of his career that most recent Universal title run. He yeah. actually had something that showcased him in a way where he didn't just skip B. Mm-hmm. But I think here, and I also find this was a credit to Goldberg, that he was so upset that whatever he planned on doing, whatever he thought would happen, whatever the match was going to deliver on, didn't. And he was so upset. Yeah. And then when asked, when Triple H comes by, oh, hey, great match. 
Because he he didn't blame Triple H. He didn't want to. He wasn't hot about like Triple H burying him so much. It's just he was upset that it happened, and that's just how he was reacting. Mm-hmm. Sure, but yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about the commentators. <laughs> Let, let's let's talk about the guys who talk and some of the things that are going on behind the scenes and on camera with Coach and Jr. Now, do you guys remember that being a thing? What Raw was on the the Coach Jr.'s the Coach going after Jr. The um, heat between them a little bit. Is well, that something that stands out as a fan? That's, that's something that stands out from like '99. I guess for me, the the, the heel coach. Be, yeah. be, being well, like, yes. that sticks out more and that like JR was almost like a ten- tangential thing that happened as a result of him being the coach you know mm-hmm. but he gives us Bruce gives us kind of all this info about oh here's where the idea came from here was the objective for it we learned that JR really took some of this stuff very personally yeah. did you feel like that's the JR you guys have heard about before yeah, I, I feel like Jr. Even though he has a, a reservation the way he does, he's always hard on his sleeve. You know, whether mm-hmm. he's selling barbecue sauces or, or selling a match, uh, the, the fact that if you look back over the years of what they put him through, like beating him up and and putting him on fire, sometimes it's he kind of feels like a sideshow. And mm-hmm. I think he really thinks he's a journalist. He and, is a journalist. And drafting him without telling him that oh, was he, another very famous Jr. Oh, moment yeah, where they, Vince McMahon drafted him to SmackDown, right? And did not t- like you can tell from the look on his face that it's. Just, and what was funny about that moment, I'm sidetracking a little, is he got up from the SmackDown table, walked over, and then just grabbed Michael Cole's chair while Michael Cole was in it. Yeah. Just pretty much like, well, kid. They're like, Ooh, we're going to SmackDown. I'm, I'm not third chairing to Michael Cole. I'm Jim yeah. Ross. Right. And it's so weird they're saying how Michael Cole might be the, the voice for a whole generation, but I'm getting off topic. <laughs> <laughs> totally getting off topic. But, mm. but so the thing with Coach, for example, maybe as a professional, it didn't matter as much. It's like, well, I'm willing to, to, to do this for, for Coach as a character, but it has to be a point in time where you're like, I'm not a sideshow. Mm-hmm. Everything will happen over there. I'm here to watch the monitor. Mm-hmm. and call the matches. Well, I think he's old school enough, and I think Coach Coach comes from... He came from ESPN, and then he went back to ESPN, and now he's back. So Coach came from a more entertainment presentation side and not a journalist side and definitely not a carny side. Right. Because <laughs> the carny the carny side of old school wrestling that mm-hmm. Jim Ross came up through, mm-hmm. the idea that the idea that Coach is doing something to put himself over Jim Ross makes no sense to Jim Ross. Because mm-hmm. how does that sell tickets to the two guys in the ring? Right. Like, how does that... Jim Ross is very clean-cut in that way. That he's like, no, no. I gained the credibility over a long period of time to be this Southern wrestling commentator. Mm-hmm. So that when I say, by God, Austin. By God, he's broken in half. That means everything. Mm-hmm. Because... He doesn't play a favorite. He's not biased. He's not a character. Whereas, I think when WWE now their commentary goes a little off the rails, it sounds like a morning zoo, or like a morning zoo on a local FM station, on top of a wrestling match. Mm-hmm. That on occasion they'll mention that a wrestling match is happening. It's like a bad watch along, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> like that style shoot. It's like ignore the moves and the holes in the ring, but uh, everything else, you know. Much, yeah, like, yeah, and like that's fine. But I don't know how that gets the match over. Yeah. It gets the right. people in commentary over. But what? None of them people are selling tickets. Right. Is the fundamental 
That's that's a very good point, gentlemen. Well, the stuff that I like to hear about on this show is, you know, the really scandalous behind the scenes, like the things you would only ever know were here if you were a fly on the wall in an arena in 2004. However, Wade Keller has his <laughs> has his ways as he as he did even back in the day. And this dirt sheet report comes out at the time about a meeting that Vince has where he talks to the wrestlers about taking responsibility. He says, you know, maybe these numbers are down or this could be better. And what, according to Bruce, was meant to inspire them, they maybe took in a way that he didn't intend to. Did you guys find this as fascinating as I did? Um, I'm sure you found this very fascinating <laughs> for a variety of reasons. But I, I found this interesting of how Vince was treating a, a top guyless company in 2004. Because mm-hmm. I think oh. that's that's the big thing about. And I think it's really interesting we're talking about 2004 right now because that's where the WWE is currently, is that they're top guyless. Right, Cause, right. Because oh, ult- yeah. ultimately, ultimately, if you want to go the, the link of top guys, which isn't the same as a lineage of uh, world champions, mm-hmm. you've, in the modern era, you have Hogan. Then a little bit between Hogan and, like, I would argue between Hogan and Austin, you had guys like Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels, and it was... It wasn't top guyless because they still had top draws, mm-hmm. but after Austin, it was then it was The Rock, and then there was this lull that we're we're talking about now before John Cena. John Cena was not coronated for another thirteen months after Rumble 04. It was the Mania after. It was the Mania after Chris Benoit. Twenty one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, WrestleMania twenty one in Staples Center was John Cena's coronation. He had been he had been branded a little bit after this whole time, like probably the Mania match with Big Show. He had been branded, but like. John Cena, so how Vince tells talent that there's a brass ring and any of you can have it is what he, I think is what That's he was the tr- message you think he was going for. I think for. it was the message he was trying to tell everyone. Mm-hmm. Because Triple H isn't a top draw like Hogan would be or like, because after John Cena it was Roman Reigns and that's what I'm talking about, that now that we're, WWE is currently top drawless, top guyless. Right. Because Brock Lesnar is a special attraction. I totally agree with that, but as on the other side too, if you're in, you're the guy in the room, and someone goes, "There's a brass ring, go ahead and get it." You're like, "Well, what does that mean?" If I'm out on TV this week, I'm, I'm catering. Do I go out there and wrestle in front of people on the streets? Like, what? Well, what do I have to do? Right. To in 04, that, that means something completely different, <laughs> right? It, t- it totally does, and I can see like I'm a sports guy, and and the guy when the, in baseball when the manager goes in the mound, they can have a ne- negative effect on your pitcher because now yeah. he's frazzled. Someone had to come over there and say, "Step it up." Right. But I was eating grilled chicken and. Cake. What do I have to do? <laughs> okay, I'll step it up. Sure, you know, and it was kind of disappointing. I do think I do read into the credence a bit of how Raw sees SmackDown versus Raw, or how sorry how Vince sees SmackDown versus Raw. Yeah, that he had a meeting with the SmackDown locker room and kind of talked down to them, and had a meeting with the Raw locker room and kind of spoke to them at their level, if not talking up to them. You're right. That says so much about how he sees those shows, not necessarily those people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's hard to not take that personally when it's your livelihood, it's your life. Right. In 04, it was still on broadcast TV, I think? Like, my never Sm- SmackDown was, was on CW? probably CW. It was, no, this was Warner Brothers. Like, or it was before the CW. UPN. It would have been UPN, okay. yes. Because okay, okay. it was before UPN so, uh, and... UPN. Yeah. Yes, UPN. <laughs> but, like, but, like, also that SmackDown deal was huge. Mm. To be on free TV. You right. know what else is huge? Trish Stratus's balls. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right. Yes. Listen... As someone who's been there, I can't believe that she had the balls 
to ask a question in a meeting like this. Um, praise to her. Obviously, mm-hmm. she was in a much different position <laughs> yeah. than I was ever in. But the fact that she said, oh, you you want to know if anyone has any questions? I have a question. Here it is. Let's hear the answer. And not at all surprised to hear about what happened to her after that. Mm. And I think Bruce Pritchard even, he, he confirmed that she was mocked and mm-hmm. kind of said, like, yeah, she shouldn't have asked the question. Well, I... Sure, maybe I'll it was a dumb question. That'll teach you to brass ring. But just the fact that she <laughs> asked it makes me happy. I don't think her question was that dumb either. Oh, no. Okay, good. Because, because fundamentally, and coming from someone coming from someone like Trish Stratus is actually very fascinating to hear because you wouldn't think she was the most fundamental wrestling psychologist, if you will, because her mm-hmm. idea is selling tickets. Because mm-hmm. if, you, if you pack the building... You pack the building, the building's happy, my paycheck's bigger, everyone's paycheck's bigger, rising tides. So, packing the building every night, we're only doing TV three, maybe four days a week. You, you're talking to me about packing the building, fundamental wrestling. You're talking about house shows. Right. And house shows, at that time, at least to her, didn't make any sense. But if you have TV, TV should build the house shows. And like She was asking a very valuable question of like how, if what should I be doing day to day to put both things over. Mm -hmm. So if you're asking, because he's essentially asking everyone to put all of their efforts into TV, which is one, like, which is a rights deal they're not cut into, and then one house, one house a week, but then you're telling me that's going to make business better. My question to you is how does that make business better? If the TV's doing nothing to serve Mm -hmm. of the 300 dates, 200 of which aren't TV. Mm -hmm. Like, how is that, like, that was her question. I don't think it was a dumb question, and I do think if... Um, Chris Benoit's a bad example. If Eddie Guerrero asked it, I don't think he would have been ridiculed. I also think Eddie Guerrero would have... <sighs> but I also think Eddie Guerrero would have done what Bruce is saying, which is when, when the boss man asks if you have questions, the answer is no. Right. But I don't agree with that either. <laughs> if you're asking me for questions... If, if you're going to ask your talent for questions... They should ask questions. They should ask good questions. I thought it was a good question. So, so, so Trish's question was more about, hey, look, many of the shows, many of the matches and the house shows are not relating to storylines. Mm-hmm. We're just doing this, this like random mishmash. And I was waiting for for, for Bruce Bell Vince out and say, well, maybe they're experimenting with other cast of characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the fact that it was kind of like, what are you doing? Like, it was like, how dare you ask a question? It's like, so weird to me. <laughs> well, know? and I understand that's a very tight ship with a very tight schedule. Mm-hmm. So that for Vince to say, I want to talk to everybody for 30 minutes, you know he said something like, I'm going to talk to them for 30 minutes. He talked to them for an hour. Mm-hmm. And then said, any questions? And Bruce is looking at the looking at the watch, like, I need to get this guy to a make-a-wish. I need to get this guy to a promo. I need to get this guy to a makeup chair. These three guys need to talk about their match. Like, Bruce as a producer was saying, like, God, this meeting, no one, no one's question is going to get a clean answer. Right. That we, no one should ask a question. I, that's ultimately where he came from, but he did confirm that Tristratus was belittled. <laughs> Yes. For asking a very legitimate question when asked to ask legitimate questions. God, this stuff is so juicy. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> oh, all right, well, let's squeeze the real juice. Let's go to Philadelphia and Delphia uh, and attend this Royal Rumble. They didn't have a ton to say about the first few matches. Well. Besides the fact, okay, besides the fact that the Dudleys were really in awe of working with Ric Flair. I think nowadays, now they've just been around so long, now anyone would be in awe of them that to hear that the Dudleys were in awe of working with Ric Flair, which of course they would be, but to hear that, it's just like, I'm like, oh, that's so cute. That is okay. Um, correct me on the date, but the, the, the Dudleys came to the WWE in 2000 or 99? 
Definitely before 2000. So, like, like, that's not... That's not too far from them working in bingo halls. That's true. With other guys on their level. No offense to everyone in ACW, but there were other guys on the Dudley Boys' level to then be working with Ric Flair. Like, mm-hmm. I think there's a time to be in awe. I don't, I don't think it actually affected this match so much as they probably got their time cut. Oh, right. Like, a lot of, the, a lot of those tag matches at that time got their time cut. Uh, it was very well noted that that Evolution... Because Evolution faced for the tag titles... At that mania, I believe it was the Rock and Suck, and I believe it was the Rock and McFoley. It was definitely McFoley okay. at WrestleMania 20, and he McFoley mentioned in his book that they cut five minutes off that match mm-hmm. right before the curtain, and it okay. destroyed the match. Uh-huh. So they they cut a lot of time from tag teams at that time, right? Uh, but to the point, yeah, Ric Flair did look good for his age. Yes. It was weird not seeing him in a robe. <laughs> like, like he's like he felt like he was naked, you know. Yeah, I'm, gl- I'm glad they touched on that because it seems like something that's so minuscule. And of course, maybe someone who's not a wrestling fan, maybe they just walked into the room and overheard what you all are listening to out there, and they're like, "Who cares? Wait, who's wearing a robe? Why are they wearing a robe? Who cares? <laughs> yeah. That is a huge deal, okay? It's like a, it's a BFD, in the right? <laughs> it's a bi- it's a big deal, y'all. Yeah, it's like uh, John Cena wearing a suit. It's kind of weird. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he wore jorts with that suit. <laughs> Well, it wasn't a whole lot to say about Rey Mysterio and Jamie Noble either. However, I just love me some Jamie Noble. Me too. And Nidia. I I, I thought Nidia was a very unsung hero of that time. Yeah. Well, the thing that stuck out to me about Bruce's comments about the Eddie Guerrero and Chavo, or I'm sorry, Eddie Guerrero match um, is that Bruce said that he was texting recently with Chavo, even while Chavo was on set of the Glow show. Obviously, this was a while ago, but that even to this day, he was like, hey, remember that match and how great it was? I love that. Yeah. Reliving, Reliving the glory days and just the fact that so many of these guys say, well, I don't keep in touch. I'll keep in touch with everybody. Maybe I see him at a signing. <laughs> just the idea of these two texting back and forth about the good old days just makes my heart flutter. Yeah, more stories, yeah. Right? <laughs> I just love it. I love it. Well, we are full bore now, so we might as well go forward with Brock Lesnar versus Bob Holly for the heavyweight title. This is a rematch, of course. Bruce characterized this as believable as hell. Mm. Stiff. Brutal. You guys, I know you said you you watched this back again. Do you remember what you thought back then? And did it change from what you thought watching it back today? Here's my thing about Royal Rumble matches, historic title matches. I always love the fact they would just moonshot this mid-carder who has no (laughs) chance of winning into this match. So back then I thought, oh my gosh, hardcore Holly's getting a shot. Huge. Uh, It doesn't hold up well at all. Uh, Really? The match or the... I I think the the idea of of putting Holly in that match, I feel like I shouldn't have been at the Royal Rumble. I feel like that could have been totally... But that's the risk you take at the Royal... Actually, I've never heard it this way, but you're right. The world title match at the Royal Rumble, more often than not, except for The Rock and CM Punk. Oh, yeah. More often than not, like, I remember it was the the Garden Rumble, it was... The Garden Rumble, it was Jeff Hardy, and who was champion? Triple H wasn't champion at that time. I don't remember who was champion at that time, but it was Jeff uh, Jeff Hardy, and I remember being there thinking... Is Jeff Hardy going to become world champion? <laughs> in Ma- like, in Madison Square Garden, not on the top of the card? And then it's going to, like... Because by that point, you knew No Way Out was going to be an elimination chamber, and, like, right. a lot can happen that he probably won't be champion heading into WrestleMania. Sure. He wound up losing and being pulled from the Money in the Bank ladder match that year, just to talk about it. But you're right, there. You run that risk when you do that, when you give guys this chance. Yeah. That looking back, you're like, man, Bob Holly didn't amount to the spot they gave him in this Royal Rumble. Right, right. And I think part of the problem is he's not what they want. 
on, especially on the Raw brand, because or no, this is all SmackDown. Smackdown. Never mind. He was, was kind of he's kind of what Paul Heyman would have wanted on that SmackDown brand. Yeah, he was our hitter. He was a bruiser. I mean, definitely mm. a character that I, I've come to appreciate. But I really felt like at the end of that match, watching it today, of course, I was like, huh. I remember liking this way better 14 years ago. <laughs> 15 years ago. So. I, I think it's a comment I make a lot about people like about people like Bob Holly, mm-hmm. who I don't necessarily want to hear say very much. People like Brock Lesnar too is like, God, this business needs like 15 Paul Heymans. <laughs> right. right. If, if and I that's ever, it. If I find a way to make clones, I'm going to clone Paul Heyman, mm-hmm. and I will help so many people get money. This is Jeff Hardy versus Edge versus Orton was a match. Was that the match from the Garden Rumble? Right. Okay. I thought know. it was just Jeff Hardy and Edge. Okay. Well, but, uh, the reason why I asked, you know, what you thought of watching it now versus back in the day is because this is something that Bruce touched on for the next match about Triple H and Shawn Michaels, that he said, new fans watching this now are probably going to crap all over the finish. But back then, it accomplished everything they needed it to do. There was a lot of um, a lot of little tidbits throughout this episode about the Triple H, Shawn Michaels thing. Anything that stood out particularly to you guys? I do this one. Um, I always, this was always kind of a forgotten feud for me because yeah. these guys for lack of a better word, go to the well a little. Like, since 04, they've gone to this well quite a bit. and that, But they've done it pretty tactfully that, like, when when Michael started working with Taker, when Michael started working with Flair, they would tie them back into each other, and now even recently they're tag- they tagged with the Brothers of Destruction, whereas these are, this is the fundamental, um, I guess a three-way at WrestleMania by now seems really strange whereas then it would have been inventive and cool yeah to be like we have a hold up in the world title personally i think if you have a last man standing match and your planned finish is for neither man to answer a 10 count you should hold up the world title neither man should hold neither man should hold it until wrestlemania i think Ooh, i like that. armchair booking i think <laughs> armchair booking that's a lot armchair booking i think that's the only thing i could look back on this entire time and think, do you want to know what would have made Chris Benoit coming into this title picture even more confused, like, even more depthful? Mm -hmm. Other than the fact that he has a lot of heat with Triple H and he was on SmackDown and he switched to Raw and did do it, would be if no one was world champion. Right. This match for me, uh, I have a lot of mixed feelings with it. The the finish didn't bother me as much, but I felt like uh, you know Michaels had some stamina issues. Uh, Triple H wasn't in the best shape of his career either. Right, they it, admitted that. It was kind of drawn out to the point. I felt like if it would have came two or three minutes earlier, I'd have been like, okay, I can accept this. Mm. But it kind of, you know, like, it drawed a little bit too long. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess the idea backstage is that they thought it would do more for Chris eventually to go over on both guys. That's a little bit in the future. But it's finally time to talk about the Royal Rumble. I love how they went number by number. We got the full backstage story on this. And Bruce says, you know, looking back on this one, he's proud of this Royal Rumble. Uh, Hurricane Helms, of course, getting the first big pop at number 10. (laughs) Bruce said that was some good stuff. And then they get to this culmination of kind of the first third, that it's those first two in that are left again. What about the way that they described this match? Did any of it make you look at it differently? Um, I I remember watching a bit of it back to make the graphic, because... For those of you who um, watch YouTube.com slash something to wrestle, <laughs> when I do release a match graphic, I do my best to find a graphic of the wrestler of that time. Mm-hmm. So it's actually trying. So like with the Ric Flair in the robe, it's really difficult to find oh. a graphic of Ric Flair from 2004 that has the background cut out that's high resolution where he's not wearing a robe. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. And I'm pretty sure the graphic I went with, he's wearing a robe and it's like the fairly timeless <laughs> Ric Flair 
graphic and similar to look back on this match, especially after 99, right. which Rumble 99 was definitely the tale of Austin McMahon. Yeah. And then kind of sort of a bunch of jobbers. Like, very few people felt credible in Rumble 99, whereas Rumble 04, it's like the year later they coronated John Cena. Right. Going, to- looking equal to Randy Orton. So Randy Orton and John Cena in this match both looked like they could win. Mm-hmm. There were, I think, something like eight or nine giants in this match, including the Big Show. If you include like A Train or Rikishi or like, there are a lot or Kane. There are a lot of really big people in this match that it's like, well, how do you like? They always like to play that up in a Royal Rumble match. That I thoroughly enjoyed this one, and the story of Chris Benoit is helpful. That you have a lot of other big personalities and big stories involved in the match. Mm-hmm. That you can that. And to let him go over an hour really helps solidify this is who Chris Benoit is. He's a workhorse. Mm -hmm. He might not say very much on the microphone. That's not what you're getting with him. What you're getting with him is someone who can go an hour and look like a killer. Mm -hmm. Who can take Big Show out by himself. I'm sounding like Paul Heyman, but I'm okay with it. (laughs) Call me a volume, sir. Well, but but not only Chris, but Bruce tells us what they were thinking behind the scenes at the time made a good Rumble match. And that was that these last seven guys that were left, any one of them would have been acceptable to be in the main event event at WrestleMania. Mm Mm-hmm. Sure. It's, it's interesting that that's the thought process, That isn't is the it? thought process. And hearing more about the structure of a Rumble and how you do the eliminations to exemplify that totally made the most sense. You're in Philadelphia, hot crowd. Chris Benoit is probably endeared to them and vice versa. Mm-hmm. But for the casual guys, it's like, oh, that guy, I see him around from matches to matches. What can he do? So not only we saw his stamina, we saw his movesets, we saw the fact that he had strength and power. I think before or after that, they were doing the is for real uh, gimmick or tagline with the merchandise yeah. or something like that. But I felt like that was really the showcase of saying if if he had a championship match, that Rumble match would be the one to say, okay, he can go the distance. Also, there were, he was similar, I was mentioning Jeff Hardy in whatever year the MSG Garden, the MSG show as I want to say it was 06. Um, there are a lot of people who edge around uh, like a couple years later, there are a lot of folks who get the buzz in the WWE as the best person to have never been world champion. Mm. Like Rob Van Dam heading into one night stand. What a crappy guy. (laughs) To work your whole entire life and to want only one thing and to never get it, I just... But I to make, but to can't uh, imagine. But as someone least. who got the one thing and just uh, realized they didn't want it, that's different. To still want it and not get it, I just that. I mean, that pains me. Fair, but it at least me, it, it makes me hurt inside. But for it, those people. But it's a good story. But it, it makes you hurt inside that Chris Benoit, all around, like just storyline wise, he's never won a world championship. Which, on, oddly enough, this this Wednesday we'll be covering um, sold out two thousand, oh, which yeah. he was, he, which he actually became a world champion. But it was so brief that no one remembered it at the time. Right. That you spoke very highly of the fact that Chris Benoit has never been a world champion. And that pained a lot of us. Mm -hmm. That it's like, that guy? He's been a workhorse for so many people for so long that for him to get a shot, that immediately makes him a babyface without him saying a word. Right. Right. Well, and we also learned from Bruce about Chris's reaction to all of this, which is what I really wanted to know. He said Chris was ecstatic and that he was grateful. It was a really huge deal to him that they had considered him to even be the champion and that they had the confidence in him to do that. That was the moment I wanted to hear most. Yeah. That was the question I wanted mm. most answered. How about you guys? He didn't get a dancing gimmick. He didn't have to wear a fedora. You know, the, <laughs> the most kookiest thing was called Be Color Rabbit Wolverine, but he owned that too, and well, he got to the top. Yeah. Well, he was called a crippler earlier in his career well, yeah, because yeah. of because Sabu was almost crippled. 
Right. Like, that's where it came from. So, a rabid wolverine, like, he, I don't know. He was someone who... Uh, the uninitiated, you were talking about someone coming into the room hearing you talking about wrestling or watching wrestling. Mm-hmm. I remember there were a couple guys that my dad, who does not actively watch wrestling, would come into the room while I was watching them and be like, I buy this. Okay. Perry Saturn was actually one of them. That's always a good gauge. That my, da- that my dad saw oh, Perry Saturn in the, ni- in the late 90s and was like, that guy is a killer. <laughs> like, if, yeah. like, back when that, I'm realizing now that's the circle I'm talking myself into when talking about Chris Benoit. But, that is something to be said that he just he doesn't have to say anything to come off as nah I really want him to beat Triple H and Shawn Michaels. Right, but really that's how I know how to regard some of these wrestlers is because we sit and watch here at AfterBuzz yeah. and then people who have never seen wrestling in their entire lives come up and they're like, wait, what is this? What is this guy? What's he doing? Why is he doing that? I, and when you can capture that attention of someone who's not at all a fan says a lot. I remember uh, to that example, very early main roster Charlotte Flair matches mm. used to draw crowds in this park, in this in yes! this hallway. Yeah. Like yes! it would just be a regular Monday night and she'd, be, she'd do a moonsault from the top in, onto the apron and it would be the three hosts that were covering Raw and then like three engineers and like five other hosts <laughs> right. all watching that match right. no one's running these after bus shows or just all going on it's like the 90 day fiance people were like oh man <laughs> who is that girl <laughs> she looks daughter, like she needs a husband from abroad right. <laughs> I love it well did you guys notice when you were watching this rumble did you buy uh, John Cena's um, knee injury like did you think it was legit were you concerned for him do you remember uh, that's hard to tell. I, it's hard to look. It's hard to watch it this week and think John Cena wasn't invincible in two thousand four, right? Because he didn't get hurt until oh six oh seven. Like it took him a long time to actually get hurt for the very first time. Yeah, because the the time the time off he took around this time oh four was storyline wise so he could go shoot in the shoot the marine because that was mm-hmm. them branding him as the the top guy. That's right. He's going to be in movies that are in theaters mm-hmm. and sure. our world champion. Sure. There's there's a certain look that performers have when they are hurt and trying to cover it up that's very apparent. For, at least yes. for me very yeah. apparent. Agreed. It's like no, I'm I'm fine. It's like ah that to me was like the X. Like that to me I felt like it was legit. Fair. I think yeah. the WWE in my understanding, in my understanding of watching a lot of WWE versus other companies, if someone's hurt and it wasn't part of the plan, more often than not, you don't see it. Right, exactly. Because someone in the booth goes, that wasn't supposed to happen. Don't cut the John Cena ever again. Like, don't cut the John Cena ever again. Exactly. He's legit hurt. He's legit hurt. He's not involved in the match. Get him out. Like, Mm -hmm. get him out of there. We'll cut to the hard cam. Make sure we don't see it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, is there anything you guys want to add about uh, this chitter-chatter about Royal Rumble 2004? I think it was a bright spot in the Ruthless Aggression era. I mean, yeah. th- even with the, the, the eventual winner having his eventual legacy, yeah. I think it was a bright spot way from top to bottom. Even though some of the matches were kind of short, it's enjoyable and definitely worth rewatching. I'll say it. I think this was the best Philadelphia Royal Rumble. Ooh. This was the best Philadelphia Royal Rumble match, and there have been four, if you include the women's match. All right. The, if you include the women's Royal Rumble match from last year. I think this will, I think this tops them all. And now that you have heard the take from a guy who was really there and making it happen, do you look at it any differently? You appreciate it more or less? I do. For sure, I do. Appreciate it more? Yeah, I feel like there's so many moving parts. I mean, of course, there's, there's people in the match and all that, but there's so many moving parts beyond personnel, beyond time and, and staff that make you think, like, wow, to pull on a show that doesn't suck. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's a whole different level. I think this gave me a lot of appreciation for the strength in their gunshotness on three stars we now know to be mega superstars, right. which are 
Randy Orton, John Cena, and Batista. Mm-hmm. And their gunshyness isn't the word so much as their patience with these guys are going to be huge stars. But they don't need... Flobo and I were just talking about patience yeah. there before. <laughs> yeah, we but they, but they, they'll be... like It'll mean so much more when Randy Orton and John Cena are the final two in 05. Right. And they go out at the same time, and Vince McMahon himself has to restart the match. Mm-hmm. They will look... They've looked equal to each other in this match, and they'll look equal to each other as pretty much co-winners the next year, although John Cena was the sole winner. Right. Wow. Well, this is so much fun, you guys. (laughs) I'm really excited to cover Psycho Sid next week. Anything you're dying to hear about? Questions you need to get answered? I got to see how big of a fan of baseball. I'm kidding. Uh, um, (laughs) I've heard through as a pundit, especially around 0405 up through the 2010s, you had always heard that Psycho Sid's Sid's back at the gym. He looks real good. And WWE's taking a look. But then, like, a lot of the times up before Pritchard left that place, mm-hmm. you kept hearing these rumblings that Psycho Sid might come back. Well, you know he's going to address those rumors. Absolutely. Yes, for sure. And uh, we want to talk about the show with you guys. So tell them where to find you guys online, where what you're up to, all that good stuff. Yeah. Steve? Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter almost exclusively. I am at Steve Kaufman. That is K-A-U-F. M-A-N-N, I run a lot of YouTube pages for some of your favorite wrestling podcasts. If I've tweeted, if I've retweeted the link, odds are I'm involved. <laughs> <laughs> and you can find me, Flobo Boys, over at Instagram at Flobito and at Flobito.com. And if you enjoyed this show, please also watch. Uh, oh, I'm going to get all my afters mixed up around here. <laughs> please it. also watch After 83 Weeks with Christy Olson. That is on Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. You guys can always hit me up at Christy Reports and let us know what you think about uh, something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard so that we can shout you guys out and read all your comments on air. Thank you so much for joining us for our big premiere. We will see you next week. Bye bye. Our founder, Kevin Undergaro, and me, Maria Menunos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first, we're the biggest in the world, and we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. <laughs> the views expressed herein are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.